What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Combo Church Podcast. My name is Craig. And my name is Kara, and we are the lead pastors of Combo Church. If you are listening on combochurch.com, iTunes, or Spotify, make sure you subscribe, follow, and like. We love it when you share with your family and friends, and we would love it if you could leave us a great review. Our prayer for you is that the message today will inspire purpose, encourage life, and build faith in you. Enjoy Enjoy the the message. All right, go ahead, and if you have a Bible with you or the YouVersion Bible app, if you don't, I think we'll have this, this portion of Scripture up on the screen behind me. Galatians chapter 5, last, this is actually part two of a message I tried to preach the whole thing last week and only got halfway through, and there was a reason for it, God knew. Uh, so today, uh, we're, we're in a series called Send It. Somebody say, Send It. You know, Send It's a, send it's what you hear a friend tell you to do when they want you to do something that they don't want to do but they want you to do it, right? Send it. You know, it means don't even think about it. Just go. Just do it. Just do it. And sometimes that can be a good thing. Sometimes that can be not a great thing to do. That's not what we're talking about today. But in this series, send it means God wanted to have Jesus go back to heaven so that he could send the Holy Spirit. And because we need the Holy Spirit to live the life that God has called us to live. We need the Holy Spirit. We can't do it alone. And Jesus even said himself, it's better if I go, so because if I don't go, I won't be able to send my spirit. So I'm going to go back to heaven, and I'm going to send you my spirit. And that's where we get send it from. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to read to you from uh, the book of Galatians. It's a, uh, one of the books of the New Testament, one of the letters written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Galatia. And, uh, and so we're talking about raising the standard, and we'll get into that more in here in a second. In verse 22 of chapter 5 in Galatians, it says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It says that there is no law against these things. And those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. And since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Amen? Amen. So there are a couple of verses When we talk about standard, we need to understand something. There is a standard that God has, and then there are standards that the world has. And the two do not, they cannot coexist. It's like oil and water. They don't combine. You can't put them together and mesh your own standard of of what we, how we want to live and what we want to do. We'll take a little bit from the kingdom of God. We'll take what we like from the world, and we'll make it our own little concoction of how we want to live. It, It just doesn't work that way. And I think the reason why we even try to do something like that is because there, we, for whatever reason, something that we've seen, what we've been taught, or what we even think we know instinctively, the picture of the standard of God has been painted in our world as if God is this entity that wants to rob us of joy, that wants to take our freedom, that wants to put us in this prison of, of religion, rules, and regulation instead of the true picture of who God is, which is a loving, gracious, kind Father that created us with purpose and has a standard for us that's actually going to unlock the potential and the freedom of blessing and an abundant life that we can get nowhere else. And so there is a standard, and God has something to say about that. And here are a couple of scriptures that kind of lay out uh, how God feels about standards. In Proverbs uh, chapter 20, verse 10, it says, the Lord detests, and that's a strong word, he detests double standards of every kind. Romans 3.23 it says for, and this is, I love this verse because it, instead of it being like us and them or, 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 you know, us against them and they're over there and we're here, it puts everybody together on the same playing field. Romans 3.23, it says, for everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. 
And that's good news because now you no longer have to be like, well, I can never be like them, or even maybe from an arrogant side, well, they're, they're not as good as I am. No, we've all messed up, all of us. And that's good. So since we're all on the same playing field, that means we all need to find the same solution to bring us to a place of, a, of God's glorious standard that's supposed to give us life. 1 Corinthians 3, 18 and 19, it says this, Stop deceiving yourselves, for if you think you are wise by the world's standards, there's that word, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. Great advice. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. If you're going to be a fool for somebody, come on, you might as well be a fool for the Lord. Because he wants to put his wisdom, his knowledge inside of who we are. 2 Corinthians 10, 12, uh, Paul's kind of, a little bit of sarcasm here. I kind of I find that humorous. Anyway, 2 Corinthians 10, 12, Paul says this. He goes, oh, don't worry. We wouldn't dare say that we are as wonderful as these other men who are telling you how important they are. But they are only comparing themselves with each other and using themselves as a standard of measurement. How ignorant. He's basically saying, hey, listen, in in, in the pursuit of the life that you're supposed to be living and the life that God created you to live, don't compare yourself to somebody else because you can always find somebody that's going to make you feel great about where you're at. You're like, well, at least I'm not as jacked up as they are, you know, (laughs) or at least my life isn't as bad as them. Or maybe even on the other side, you kind of find yourself at the bottom of the barrel and you're like, man, I'll never be able to measure up to that. I'll never be able to measure up to that person. And, and, and all that does is it puts us in a place of stagnation where we're afraid to move because we keep comparing ourselves with the wrong standard. Here's the last one. This is where then we'll kind of dive into it a little bit more. But I love, I love this passage right here. It's in Romans 12, 2. And then the Passion Translation, listen to this verbiage. It says, stop imitating. This is just clear, pure instruction. Stop imitating the ideals and the opinions of the culture around you. We need that today. I mean, it's, it was written over two, you know, 2,000 years ago. It's still relevant today. But be inwardly transformed. So it's not just about stopping doing something. That's what religion does. Religion gives you a set of rules and says, stop it. Stop doing that. Stop, you know, cracking the whip. But what God does, he goes, okay, I, I want you to stop that, but there's something that I'm wanting you to do. I want you to stop this because it's producing death in your life. Now I'm actually trying to lead you in a direction that I want to produce life, but it has to start on the inside. It says, but be inwardly transformed by what? By your own efforts? By your own strength, by your own superpower? No. It says by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. I love how God brings transformation. He goes in our heart, but then he begins to work on our mind. He begins to work on the way that we think. Because when we begin to change our thinking, then we begin, can begin to change the way that we walk things out. But it has to start with saying, God, you have my heart. You have my heart. It says, this will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life. Who wants a beautiful life? That sounds great. That sounds great to me. A satisfying life. Who wants a satisfying life? Okay, just checking to make sure I'm talking to the right people. And, uh, and perfect. Who wants a perfect life? You're like, that's not even possible. It's right here. A perfect life in his eyes. So we're talking about raising the standard. I started it last week. And Webster here, let's go to Webster. Webster had a few things to say about it. He said that a standard is an object, such as a banner or a flag, carried at the top of a pole and used to mark a rallying point, especially in battle or to serve as a communication symbol. Another definition, something established by authority as a model or example. Here's the last one. Something set up and established by authority as a rule for measuring things. Now, when we look at all these different definitions of, of what a standard is, this is what they all have in common, is that a standard is a call of clarity from an authority giving direction, value, and a model to follow. 
That's great news when it comes to God and when it comes to your own life because you have to know God is not asking you to do something that he is not going to lead you and show you how to do. What religion does is it says, hey, good luck. Try hard. Here's a list of rules. Maybe you can follow all these. Here, here's, how, here's how to dress. Here's not how to dress. Here's who to, here's who to hang out with. Here's who to ignore. Like that's what religion does. It begins to group us and segregate us into groups of, of people who are trying to do something that makes sense to them and doing it on their own. But what God's trying to do, it, he's like, hey, you can't do this on your own. You don't have what it takes to live the life that I've called you to live. Well, then why'd you call me to live it? Don't worry. I'm going to give you what you need. I'm going to show you what you need. I'm going to give you a true, clear standard that will lead you into the most fulfilling life that you could possibly ever imagine. And it's going to happen not through your own efforts. It's going to happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. Just testing you guys. That was a great spot. That was a great spot for somebody to give me an amen. I'm just going to tell you, 9.15 was on it this morning. So if 11 o'clock, y'all had time for coffee and all this type of stuff. Y'all need, to, y'all need to bring the energy. No. <clears throat> One of the things when we look at a standard, okay, so what is our standard? It's kind of an ambiguous term at this point. But for us, when we look at Christianity, when we look at what it means to really begin to see and embrace and walk in the kingdom of God, we don't have to wonder. We have the word of God, but our standard is Jesus. And Jesus reveals himself through his word, and he empowers us through his spirit. And so Jesus literally was raised up for us to be a standard. He was raised up actually three different ways. And I, I kind of, on my own, I kind of nerded out about this. I might preach it another time. But Jesus was actually raised up three different times. Three different times. Once he was raised up on the cross. And he was the standard for our salvation and for our healing. The second time he was raised from the grave. And he became a standard for our resurrected life and the new life that we can live in Christ. The third time he was raised was he was raised up to a seat of victory in heaven as a conquering king. And he was raising the standard so that we would know what kingdom we're living for and what authority we get to walk in and operate in and the life that we get to live not by our power but by the authority of who Jesus is. And so there's a standard that's been raised that's been so clear for us. And here's the thing I love about God. God is not raising a standard for us to figure out on our own. He's not, here's the standard, and there's a thousand ways for you to figure it out. There's a thousand ways for you to follow. There's a thousand ways for you to believe. No, the standard is clear. The standard is clear. The standard is Jesus. And that's one of the most powerful things when it comes to God. Sometimes if you were to, if you went to take a test, and it was a multiple choice test, which those, you know, I kind of like those in school. But what if they gave you uh, like 75 answers and you had to pick one? And one was going to be the right way. One way that to me, that's, that would be torture. I'd be like, I'll tap out. Um, I'm just going to close my eyes and pick one here and hope for the best. I may, have, may or may not have taken SATs that way. I'm just going <laughs> to be honest with you about that. You got bored at the end. You're like, all right, I'm just going to start making patterns here. Anyway, anybody, y'all, some of y'all did that. I can tell by the way you're responding there. Hence the score that you got. Anyway, no, but what if, what if I see grace and I see love and I see the heart of God because God came and he goes, there is a test, but there's one answer and, and I'm going to give you the answer. Isn't that great? I mean, that's love. That's grace. That's, that's a God who says, I'm not trying to make this complicated for the world. I'm not trying, I'm not trying to make on your efforts and your strength and your understanding and your efforts going to make you figure out what the way is, I'm going to show you the way. I'm going to make it clear. And the reason that I'm going to give you this method and this standard and this Jesus and this spirit and this word is so that you will, with no question in all clarity, be able to walk in the goodness of the life that I've created for you to live. It's so good. So uh, Philippians 3, uh, another uh, scripture reference here, in Philippians 3, 8 and 9, 
Paul's kind of talking about like kind of his resume. He's pretty, he had a good resume. He was educated. I mean, everything he had going on, but he goes, everything is filthy rags in comparison to knowing Jesus. And then he says, I no longer count on my own righteousness, which is like living right your own way with your own efforts. I no count on my own righteousness through obeying the law or rules or regulations or what somebody else is telling me that isn't coming from the word. But I become righteous through faith in Christ for God's way of making us right because we have to be made right. I don't know if you knew this or not, but you're jacked up. So am I. That's the beauty. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's standard. But God's way of making us right is through himself or, or making, let's try this again. Cut, take two. God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. So that's great. So the only step that you have to do is to say, Jesus, I believe in who you say you are. God, I accept your standard, and I'm going to need your help. <laughs> and he's like, don't you worry about that. I got you. I got you. Boom, I'm going to send it. I'm going to send my spirit, and you're going to have everything that you need to walk this thing called life. Holiness, that's a word that sometimes you hear in the church world, and, and, and I've been in different places and environments where holiness was all about um, how you looked and how you acted kind of from the outside. If you had your Sunday best on and you know how to you know, say the right things at church and, and uh, you knew when to stand up, when to sit down, when to clap, when to sing, when to whatever, when to 60-second com. <laughs> no. Uh, 120, 180-second convo. You know, if you knew how, how to do that stuff, you know, I'm, I'm a church guy. I know what I'm doing. I'm holy. Now, holiness isn't about what's on the outside. Holiness is about what's on the inside. As a matter of fact, the word holy literally means to be set apart and to be different for something. Now, here's the deal. Everyone in here is holy. Everyone in our world is holy because we're all set apart for something. But it's what are you set apart for? The holiness of God is a holiness that sets us apart from the world, from the culture of the world, from the brokenness of the world. I'm not talking about people. I'm just talking about the world as a whole and standards that are in conflict with the kingdom of God. God's holiness puts us in alignment with his standard and his kingdom, which aligns us with how we were created and what we were created for. Can I get an amen? So here's the deal. If, if sin is missing God's standard, which that's really what that word means, and that leads to death, then the conviction of Holy Spirit is meant to lead us towards God's standard, which produces health, it produces an abundant life, it produces an overflowing, blessed, and fulfilled life. Now, if you knew nothing about God, Jesus, Bible, he heaven, hell, world, kingdom, any, if you knew nothing, and somebody came to you and said, hey, I got a, just a two-part question for you. I'm going to give you an option between two things, and you just tell me what you want. Do you want a life that's going to lead in destruction and death? You're like, wow, that sounds so inviting. Thank you for that option. Or do you want a life that's going to be abundant and blessed and fulfilled? It's going to be healthy. Your relationships are going to be amazing. You're going to find purpose in your life. You're like, which one do you want? What a stupid question. But when we begin to kind of put a name on it, and that's where I've had issues with people where I've tried to share my faith or share testimony or invite people to church or, or try to tell people about Jesus. Lots of people are okay with God until God has a name. When God begins to have a name, then people begin to equate that name with what they've experienced from people who have claimed that name. And I'm like, I feel you. I get it. I understand. Because people are people. I don't know if you knew this or not, but we're all broken something that we've already read, we've all fallen short of God's standard. That means that we need God's help to become the standard and to raise the standard. And so if I'm in the world and I have somebody coming to me whose life is still as broken as theirs and they still have just as much struggle as, as, the, as, the, as the other does, and they're like, hey, you should come to me, you should believe what I believe, you should be about what I'm about. 
And they're looking at your life and they're like, why would I add extra stress to my life when your life is no better than my life? Now all you've done is you want me to put religion on top of an already broken life? No, that's why we can't just go around acting religious. We have to go around trusting and knowing Jesus and putting our hope and faith in him. We don't have to fake anything to anybody. We don't have to act like everything is perfect. But what we do need to do is understand that as Jesus begins to open up our life to a standard that leads us to fulfillment and leads us to a blessed life, then we begin to show something to the world around us that gives them hope. Then you don't, it's no longer arguing about the, the cross and the T's and the dot and the I's of, of your theology and arguing about points. It's just about real life. Hey, God has encountered me. What we saw today as these individuals literally buried their old life and came up as a new creation, what we saw was people saying, hey, I don't know if I've got it all figured out, but I know who to turn to. Testimonies of, of people being freed from addiction and drugs and alcohol and, and other lifestyles that they're walking away from. That's not stuff that happens because somebody was just like, I just changed my mind and I've determined to try harder. No, like, it just doesn't work. Trying harder, just get, you just end up burying a, you know, uh, creating a bigger hole in the ground that you get buried in. Got my car stuck in the snow one time. I was like, I'm just going to gun it. And uh, you know, it didn't work out too well. All it did, my car just went, you know, just I'm like, and then it was bottomed out. I'm like, I'm stuck. You know, trying harder doesn't always help. Most of the time it gets us into a bigger mess. That's why God says, no, you need me. You need me. You need me. Listen, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I'm not putting heavy weights of religion upon you. I'm leading you into a new revelation of freedom and freshness and forgiveness and second chances and a thousand chances. And how many do you need? Because I got plenty. That's the love of God. That's the standard of God. And when we begin to walk and live in this freedom, that's when God begins to take things to a whole nother level. Y'all ready? Speaking of next level, y'all ready for me to kick it up a notch real quick? <laughs> I, love, I always love how excited people are before they know what I'm about to say. They're like, send it, it's going to be great, come on, bring it. And then I you know, drop it, they're like, oh, okay, all right. I didn't know you are going to be all about that. People are created as sexual beings. Yeah, you, you thought I was joking. We're kicking it up a notch. But here's the deal. It's part of how God made us. And within our God-designed makeup is a sexual drive intended for pleasure, for reproduction, and for pure intimacy between a married man and woman. That's how God designed it. That's how God made us. But outside of God's standard, which is his purpose, his order, his timing, for sexuality, that, uh, what God created to be amazing and life-giving can actually kill and destroy. Isn't it interesting how something that can be so good and was created to be good, doesn't matter what it is, can also produce death. It can also produce destruction. It can also produce uh, brokenness. And that's the difference between whether we live something the way that God created it in his standard or whether we try to control something that God created and live it within our own standard. That's the difference between whether something can be beautiful or something can be, something can be uh, uh, destructive. And I think even, let me speak in the church world specifically, for so long, for so many generations, we have, we have taken the topic of, of sexuality and sex and we have buried it as far as we could bury it. We don't want to talk about it. You know, we raise our kids, and, and, and our kids are like, you know, just, just don't hold hands and, uh, 
and uh, try not to, you know, don't say bad things and, and not to realize that the more the technology expands and the more we put it in our, our children's hands, they are exposed to things that you were probably not exposed to until you were an older teenager and in a generation before, even as, as young adults. And now we have five, six, seven-year-olds who are being exposed to stuff that they are nowhere even close to being ready to know how to handle. And if we're not talking about this stuff with them at the young age, then they're not going to be ready to be able to walk in this thing called life. Right now, in our world, in our nation specifically, 50% of fifth graders have already, through from their phones, taken naked pictures of themselves and sent it to friends or have received naked pictures from friends. 50% of fifth graders. 50% that's half. You're like, well, not my kids. Like, for me, I'm inspired to check my kids' phones. My kids are here. Y'all are great. Y'all ain't doing nothing like that. I know that. We talk about this stuff. But at the end of the day, like, if we don't begin to talk about God's standards, and we're talking about, I'm hitting sexuality because there's not a person in this room or online that in some way, shape, or form has not been impacted either by your choices or by somebody else's choices negatively when it comes to sexuality. There's not one of us who are, who are, who are, uh, are, are unscathed from this at all, which is why I'm kind of hitting on this topic. But the more that we begin to keep this from our kids, we're basically saying, hey, you're on your own. But when God made it to be something that is amazing, something that he created with purpose, something that he created with a destiny, something that he created to produce life and to be life-giving, you know, right now in our world, the solution is not to change our standard, but to allow science to come up with pills and shots and vaccines to help us continue in the same destructive standard. And that's never meant to be the intent, and God's not trying to withhold from anybody. He's trying to point us in a direction of health and fulfillment and prosperity and relationships that aren't going to destroy us. And then we end, and I've been there, y'all, we end up getting ourselves into a pattern of brokenness and brokenness and brokenness, and we, we have to deal with the repercussions and the fruits of our broken relationships as we have ventured out on our own standards and what the world says is okay. So as our kids continue to raise up, if we, all, if we don't have a clear call for the younger generation of what it means to understand God's standard when it comes to sexuality, understanding what purity is, still turning our heads away and laughing at abstinence, and they will continue to listen to all the voices that are speaking to them, the, the voices that are coming from our public school systems, the, the, the voices that are coming from their peers. If you are having the thought, if you're, I wonder if my kid's old enough for me to talk about this stuff. You're probably three years too late or even longer. Politicians are going to tell them what they want them to know. Anyone who exists within our world culture is going, all of our pop, pop culture, you know, influencers, all of our Hollywood stars, because all they got to do is put them up on a TV screen and we, 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 have, we don't have a choice. We have to believe what they say. They're famous. That's how that works. But that's who they're listening to. Guess what? They, uh, this turned into like a parenting conference. Your kids want to hear from you. They may run as hard as they can from the conversation initially, but I can guarantee you 100% they want to hear from you. And they want to hear the why. Because this is what religion does. Religion says, don't do that stuff because it's wrong. It's wrong because the Bible says it's wrong. And if the Bible says it's wrong, then it's wrong, and that's all you need to know. Well, thanks. That's, so, that's super helpful. That's really giving me something to chew on in my next decision-making moment. No, we need to know the why behind what is going on. We need to know the why because there is an important why. The Bible actually tells us to run from sexual sin. It doesn't say run from sexuality. It says run from sexual sin. The sin is when we miss the standard or the mark of what God has created. It's literally we're going on a straight path, and then we veer off in a certain direction. 
Like where we're headed, God's taking us, God created. There's natural things inside of us, and all of a sudden, because of sin or we miss the mark, we go off in a different direction. Sexuality that misses God's standard. It says no other sin is so, so clearly affects our body than this one. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Notice, I mean, we're really getting into it, you guys. Notice that it's not saying sex. It's saying sexuality. Sexual sin. Sometimes we're like, hey, as long as I ain't having sex, we're good, man. I mean, I can express myself and I love this person. No, let's, let's again, that's, not, that's a world standard. Let's continue to bring it back into God's standard. Because in your marriage and even in your future marriage, God doesn't just want the sex. Man, this is really going up a notch. God does online, you tune in in a great week. God doesn't just want the sex in your marriage to be good. He wants everything that leads up to it to be good. That's a big deal. That matters. I feel like I'm doing youth ministry all over again. Okay. <clears throat> sexuality is not a sin. But sexuality outside of God's standard is sin. So here's the why. We talked about why. Because it misses the mark of God's design. And if God's design and his standard is to set you up for a fulfilled, abundant, blessed life, then when we miss that standard, we are getting off from what God intended for us to be. And, and the greatness of what he intended us to experience so the world has a standard for sexuality. The kingdom of God has a standard for sexuality. One will destroy your body, your relationships, your family, even careers, even ministries. And one's going to set you up for a beautiful life, beautiful relationships, and even genera generationally. Gener generationally. Woo! There we go. Y'all still alive out there? We're going we're gonna to land this plane. It's happening. One of the things that is, is challenging is that if we if we don't raise up the next generation to understand the standards of God. And I know we've been talking heavily on, on the sexuality aspect of it, but it applies to anything. Like God has standards when it comes to giving and generosity. And for those, for those who trust the standard of God, you tithe, you're generous, you're a good steward of what you have, you're generous with other people, and there is blessing that comes from that. And if you've done it, you know it. And if you haven't done it, you still don't trust God that he's gonna do what he said. Like there's really two thoughts on that. Like, you know, I just feel like you're just trying to get money for, you know, to, to build your own whatever. It's not, I didn't write this stuff. The, the, you know, God inspired, the, God inspired what's written in Scripture to establish his standards so that we would know what to do. So whether it's sexuality, whether it's, whether it's finances, whether it's relationships, whether it's friendships, doesn't matter what it is. When we follow the standards of God, we are set up for success. Because that's a good father. I know we, we, we don't live in a world where everybody has good father figures. We don't live in a world where even everybody has a father in their life. So sometimes when we talk about God as our heavenly father, it's kind of hard to wrap our minds around it. But the reality is, is that when we understand and dive into who God is, we see God is a God of love. Our heavenly father loves us. Our heavenly father is setting us up for success. Our heavenly father wants us to live a life that is far beyond even what we could even dream or imagine. God is looking through our faith in him to take our experience in this thing called life to a whole nother level. And it happens when we begin to embrace the standard that God has for us. God doesn't change. He didn't change his standard because humanity decided that we wanted to become more progressive in our ideals, in our, in our, in our beliefs, in our, in our ideologies. No, God says, no, I'm gonna continue to hold the standard that you can look to and know exactly what it represents and know exactly what it means so that it won't confuse you. God didn't say, well, you know, let's take a vote. Okay, it looks like the votes have it. All right, we'll switch up some stuff. I realized that, you know, the way that I was a couple of thousand years ago isn't relevant to, you know, it's 2021 now. 
So God, you know, God's like, I need to really kind of update myself. Uh, I need to be more relevant. No, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Why? Because his standard is outside of time. His grace, his love, his power, his truth, his reality, his relevance is outside of time. And so the same principles and standard of God that were powerful thousands of years ago are still powerful today. The same things that destroyed lives, destroyed generations, and let's be real, that even caused nations to go to war against each other. They created death and destruction and brokenness thousands of years ago. That stuff is still breaking people up today. We see it in the Middle East. We see it all around the world. We see it in the way that things are happening within our nation. Brokenness, the standard of the world will continue to produce brokenness. But the standard of God is going to give us new life. And that's what people want to see around us. Sin isn't wrong just because the Bible says it's wrong. Sin is wrong because it establishes a false standard that opposes God's standard in our life. So God is looking, literally, I can feel him like shouting out from heaven. He's like, hey, you got to trust me. And that's where, that's where we got to, like, all right, trust fall. Here we go. God, I hope you catch me. We, we, I realize in the world in which we live, trust is an issue. Trust is an issue. Why? Well, because we've had so many people break trust. And even we've seen through, even in the church world, we've seen trust broken, which paints a picture of, well, if the church represents God, then God, then God broke my trust. If I can't trust relationships here and I can't trust relationships there, they claim they're connected to God, then that must mean that I also can't trust the relationships with God uh, either. But God is saying, no, I'm here to reveal myself to you. I'm here to let you know that I am a good God. I'm here to let you know that, that I am real. I'm here to let you know that when you were going through the worst moment in your life, I hadn't abandoned you. I was holding your hand through the whole thing. I'm taking you through it. God is not just a God of the mountaintops. He's a God of the valleys low. He's the God that takes you through the fire. He doesn't abandon you, and that's why you're in the fire. The cool thing about God, when he takes us through the hard things of life and we're able to see and kind of pause and look back, we see it wasn't that he abandoned us. We see that he was with us. We see that if it wasn't for him, we'd still be in it or we wouldn't have made it through it. Again, let's tie that again to the testimonies of those that came out of the water. If you could do it on your own, you, you would have. You know, Jacob, I think about you, man. Your testimony is one of the most powerful ones I've ever heard. Just the grace of God. And yeah, determination that you're not going to quit. You could have, but it was the grace of God that kept you going. And, bro, you're going down that water. I got tears flowing down my face because I realized that this isn't just some religious thing that's happening, but it's somebody who said, I'm going to put my trust in the only one that I know is not going to violate my trust. And I know that he's going to lead me in ways that nobody else can lead me. And that's the, tr- that's the truth for anybody. That's the truth for me. That can be the truth for you today. Brian, when you want to go ahead and hop up here, and that gives me the, the signal to wind this thing down. Man, I hope if you walk away with anything today that you know that God loves you so much and he's literally willing to do anything, and he has, to show you his love. As a matter of fact, he values you so much that he, was, that he gave his only son so that you could have everything that, everything that you and I deserve to be punished for by God. I'm not going to speak it for you, but I know for me. I know I've got a laundry list of things that definitely deserve the, the, the Louisville slugger of God upside my head. You know, I grew up in the South. You know, I, I didn't get timeouts. I don't know about you. I, that, that didn't happen. <laughs> it wasn't like, go think about what you did. It's like, no, I'm about to, we're about to have some action to, to help you reflect on what you did. I've got plenty of things in my life where, where God had, has every right because of who he is to destroy me because of my sin. But instead of him looking at me in my worst moment and and giving me what I deserved, he gave me mercy. 
He gave me grace. He gave me love. He saw me in my worst moment. He goes, you know what, there, there, this is a problem, but I have a solution. And, uh, and, and you, you actually aren't the solution. You can't, you don't have what it takes. So I'm gonna send my son. There has to be a consequence for your sin. But actually, I'm gonna put that on the shoulders of my son. He's gonna take it for you. And because of his death on the cross, and because of his blood that's gonna be shed. If you ever hear at church, we're singing about the blood of Jesus, and you're like, don't get freaked out. Like, what are they gonna what are they going to make us drink up in here? You know, it's not going to get weird, you know. No, you got to understand the blood that Jesus shed on that cross is the blood that covers our sins. It's the blood that makes us new. I don't know about you, when I cut myself and I get blood on my clothes, it leaves a nasty stain. But there's something about the blood of Jesus. The old hymn, it talks about how it washes us white as snow. It purifies us. And it's because of that that I can be righteous. It's because of that that I can be holy. Same thing for you. It's because of what Jesus did that you can be righteous. It's because of what Jesus did that you can be holy. And you can live the life that God says is possible, not because you tried harder, not because you attended church more. Should you be at church? Oh yeah, you should be at church. And you're here, great job. We should be here all the time because this community of faith is what even partners together with what God's doing to help us grow into this life that God's called us to live. Religion's not gonna do it. Your own efforts aren't gonna do it. Trying harder isn't gonna do it. Quitting definitely won't do it. You've got to surrender to God. There's no other way. And I'm glad there's no other way. I don't want to keep it complicated. I want to keep it simple. God, show me what the standard is and then empower me with your spirit so that I can walk in this standard. I want to raise the standard in my life that presents life to the world around me so that those who are even looking at my life can see something that is different from them, something that is attractive to them, something that, man, I wish I had that in my life. Why are they happy? I know what they're going through. They shouldn't be happy, but they still seem to be happy. Man, they, they really knew how to handle that situation. For me, I would have handled that totally differently, but they're, they're doing all right. I wonder, I wonder what's different about them that's different about me. That's what should be happening in the world around us. Instead of the world seeing the church being just as messed up, just as hypocritical, just as broken, just as stuck in the same standards in the, in, that is destroying everybody else, no, they should see something different in us. And that's not gonna happen again, repeat myself, because we tried hard, because we like, I've read more scripture today, so now I'm just supercharged. Yeah, you need the word in your life. You need the community of faith in your life, but you need the Holy Spirit charging you from the inside out, bringing that transformation to do what only he can do. Thank you again for joining us on the Convo Church Podcast. Special shout out to those who give so generously to Convo Church. It's because of you that this ministry is even possible. If you want to sow into the ministry, go to ComboChurch.com and simply click the Give button. It's that easy. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, follow, take a screenshot, and share it on your social stories and tag us at Combo Church. Thanks again for listening, and make sure you tune in to the next episode of the Combo Church Podcast.